Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hello and welcome to this week's Alabama AgCast. I'm your host, Mike Moody. On this week's AgCast, our own Mitt Walker, Director of Governmental and Agricultural Programs, has a great conversation with Katherine Robertson. Catherine is a longtime friend of the Alabama Farmers Federation and Chief Counsel to Attorney General Steve Marshall. In our wrap-up today, Chris Pravat will give us information about fall planting for our grazing animals. Catherine, why don't we start with you just giving a little background on yourself and uh, your role there at the Attorney General's office. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I serve as Chief Counsel to Attorney General Steve Marshall. I've been with him since his first day in office, so we have obviously been through a lot together, all kinds of issues um, going on in the office. I um, oversee our civil side, which includes our opinions division, consumer protection, and civil division. Um, and so, like I said, we see a lot, we've been through a lot, and um, the topics we're going to talk about today certainly have a long timeline um, with our office and uh, are, you know, very important to us and, and I think to all Alabamians. Sure. Well, thank you, Catherine. Um, and I'll just say you, Attorney General Marshall, um, have been real champions for pushing back against government overreach, which is a big concern for our farmers. And I know lots of people here in Alabama, when we see agencies starting to color outside the lines of congressional intent, one of the, the roles that you guys can play is, is helping to maybe get them back on track. And uh, had a big, big ruling just a couple of weeks ago that I know y'all were very involved with out of one of the circuit courts that deals with the Endangered Species Act and how those regulations would be implemented moving forward. Tell us a little bit about that case and why it was so important to, to you and Attorney General Marshall to get involved there. Yeah, so the Endangered Species litigation um, is very important to the state of Alabama because it really comes down to property rights and how people can use their property, which is obviously a really important issue in Alabama. Um, the Endangered Species Act requires federal agencies to protect um, species of plant, fish, and animals. And um, just like any other federal agency, the um, Fish and Wildlife Service can issue um, rules that govern how people can use their land. And um, there's been this big debate going on for several years now over the definition of critical habitat and what that means. And depending on how narrow or broadly you understand critical habitat to be, it can really impede the use of land. And this came to a head in a 2018 Supreme Court case called Weyerhaeuser, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which um, kind of the court helped reach a common sense conclusion, which is a habitat actually has to be an, an animal's habitat, a species habitat to declare it critical. It can't just be a place where you would like for the um, the species to be or hope that the species would be, but actually that, that they are there or could live there. And so this has just been a ping pong game, Bush, Obama, Trump, and then Biden. And so it just goes back and forth and round and round. And, um, you know, property owners really can't get a ton of clarity. So Alabama, our office has been very engaged in this litigation. Um, when the Trump administration issued their rules, which were certainly more friendly, the private property owners, um, not surprisingly, blue state AGs challenged that in 2019 in the Northern District of California, 
But when the administration changed under Biden, the federal government did not want to defend their rules anymore because they were issued by the previous administration. And so as has happened in, in a lot of different contexts, red states came in and asked to be able to intervene in that case to actually defend the Trump rules where the federal government would not. And so um, we got a bad ruling at the district court level in July of this year, but then this month, the Ninth Circuit um, stayed that order to keep the Trump rules in place. Well, great. We we really appreciate your work there. And Catherine, you know, when you look at keeping those Trump era rules in place, what does that, that really mean for the, the average, you know, private landowner here in Alabama? Really, it's a debate over the definitions of what a critical habitat is and then also what a taking is and when the government can can actually take for all intents and purposes, the use of your property um, to protect the species. And obviously, the more broadly the rule is written, um, the federal government has a lot more power and a lot more say over how you can use your property when those rules are more narrowly defined in a way that still seeks to protect critical habitats, but in a way that is a little more commonsensical, then I think, you know, not only are private property rights protected, but also property owners are actually more incentivized to help um, protect the species themselves rather than being, you know, forced into it and and penalized for it by the federal government. And again, these rules have been so shaky, the understandings of these definitions have been so shaky that really nobody knows what they're doing out there. and Nobody knows what the rule is. It's just gone back and forth and back and forth and it just hasn't been settled. And so, um, this win in the Ninth Circuit is a big deal, but unfortunately, it's probably not the end of the road for this debate. Unfortunately, we do see things kind of move back and forth as as they go through the the different courts and different administrations. But um, before we leave that topic, I did want to to go back and make sure those that are listening that haven't followed it very closely, the the key to this this case really gets down to the fact that in order for critical habitat to be designated, the the critter that they're looking to protect has to actually be there. And, you know, what more common sense approach could you think of than that? I mean, just designating habitat as, as being critical, hoping that that particular species may find its way there one day is a very much an overreach in our opinion. And, and we're very thankful for the work you guys are, are doing on that front. Let's take a break from this conversation and talk to one of our good friends down at Alabama Ag Credit. Travis Jordan, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm really well today. I appreciate you asking. Tell us what's going on with the home market at Alabama Ag Credit. You know, often when people think about Alabama Ag, our first tendency is to think about just our ability to finance agriculture. But the reality is we do a lot of things really well. One of those things is financing rural property, specifically Uh, home sites. And even to add to that, we do a lot of existing homes and new construction. So there's some things that make us a little different than most. You know, we offer long-term fixed rates. We have our own in-house appraisal staff. We offer a lot of flexibility that you maybe can't find in the traditional mortgage market. And probably most importantly, we're comfortable and confident in the rural area. And that probably sets us apart. No doubt. That's a great information that everybody needs to know. Well, Travis, how can people find out more information? The best way to reach out to us, Mike, is by calling the local number 334-270-8686. Or if you're interested in finding a location nearest you, you can go to the website alabamaagcredit.com. 
And now, back to our conversation. As we talk about that that ping-ponging back and forth, I think one that has really gone on for for decades now is uh, the debate around waters of the United States under the Clean Water Act. Um, as we're kind of looking at different court cases around the country, this is this has been a year where we've seen a lot of cases make their way to the highest court that really have a direct impact on our members, um, farmers, landowners, um, the business community as a whole. I don't remember ever seeing so many cases that have a direct impact on our membership as we've seen in, in the recent months. But um, as we look at the Supreme Court in their term that's currently ongoing, they are going back to take a look at the, the debate around what lands, uh, what waters, what wetlands uh, EPA and the Corps actually have authority to regulate. And um, big week, you know, this week, I think um, arguments were heard yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. But, Catherine, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you guys are tracking on that front. Yeah, so the waters of the U.S. Um, it is another issue that we have been involved in, um, even prior to General Marshall's time. And as you said that about the endangered species stuff, too, um, with, uh, Governor Attorney General Strange was very involved in that. And um, again, just shows how long these cases drag out. But in the Waters of the U.S. case, um, there's a pretty significant Supreme Court decision in 2006 where the justices agreed to rule against the federal government, but they could not decide on how we ought to define our understanding of navigable waters under the Clean Water Act. And there were two definitions were proposed by different justices. Justice Scalia proposed that we understand these waters to be navigable or relatively permanent waters. And another justice suggested that it's really more of a significant nexus to traditionally navigable waters. And that's as clear as mud, as you um, can see, that was Justice Kennedy's definition. And so since that time, we've had the ping pong of the back and forth where the EPA has tried to adopt one definition or another. You know, these rules are constantly litigated. They're challenged by states that are in opposition to the sitting administration. And it's gone on and on and on. Um, while this case has made its way to the Supreme Court, the Biden administration has, um, you know, proposed a new definition, which, of course, is a more liberal understanding of these waters. Um, but the case that the Supreme Court heard this week is, just this family of private property owners in Idaho um, trying to figure out whether their land and their home were built on navigable waters. They live in an area of wetlands, but they're, um, they live near a lake, but, but their property is um, separated from the lake by a row of houses and a street and all this other stuff. And they're saying our property is not adjacent to navigable waters. Why? You know, why we've we been getting these notices from the EPA saying that we need their permission um, to build our home and to utilize our property. The, the crazy thing about the EPA rule is that it can carry criminal penalties. So it is a very big deal um, to these property owners. And so they are before the court this week arguing that common sense, again, requires a, a definition of navigable waters that is more in keeping with the way this law was originally written and not with this broadening by the EPA, um, as they seem to so often do, of an understanding of, of, of what navigable means. It is not, um, it is not 
wetlands that are not attached to any other water. And I think you heard, um, it's interesting, Justice Barrett, who's from New Orleans, was very sympathetic to that understanding because of New Orleans, and Justice Alito was sympathetic to the family as well. So it, it, it could be that we may finally reach um, an end on the WOTUS debate because, again, this has been going since 2006. If the court can land on one definition or another, then, then we may be done with this for a while, but we will see. Yeah, well, Catherine, uh, the legal scholars seem to think that we may finally get that clarity that that we've been looking looking for for decades now. Um, So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. And, you know, it really boils down to certainty for for these landowners. They want to know what they can do without having to hire a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of geologists, a bunch of engineers and, and have, you know, exorbitant bills just to figure out if they can utilize their land for what they they want to do so um fingers crossed we'll finally get a a ruling here to give us some some clarity moving forward the court makeup is very different um this time than than it has looked in the past when these issues have come up so um we will we'll be watching that very closely as i know you guys will too so um catherine we're getting close to the end of our time here but um i did want to say thank you for coming on i know you've got a busy week this week and thank you for carving out a few minutes to be with us and um we just really appreciate the the work you guys are doing to going back to we've used the word common sense several times today and um, getting common sense back into government regulations so um any any closing remarks before we wrap up well like you said um We've got a lot going on at the United States Supreme Court. Uh, we're, as we speak, arguing in our redistricting case to try to protect our legislative maps. And I think, you know, one thing I didn't touch on in these two issues is there's also a state sovereignty component to this, of letting states kind of define what these things mean and regulating things based on um, property and, and the way things run in the state of Alabama, which is not always going to be the same as, it, as another state. That's the beauty of of states doing things differently. And so when the federal government comes in with broad definitions and um, this heavy regulation, it, it, it really consumes the state's ability to have a say too. And that those are part of our arguments as well, similar to what we're arguing in redistricting. So we think that state sovereignty is very important, whether you're talking environmental regulations or legislative districts or what have you. Well, thank you again for being with us today, Catherine. You've been a good friend for a long time and look forward to continuing to fight these battles with you guys moving forward. So um, y'all stay stay tuned. We'll come back with our weekly wrap-up in just a minute after the break. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. And now, your weekly Ag Cash wrap-up. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Pravat, the new Alpha Commodity Director for Beef, Hay and Forage, Sheep and Goat, and Equine. And today's wrap-up is going to be about planting cool season annual forages for our grazing animals in Alabama. So if we look at the 14-day the forecasts out there, chances aren't very good for rainfall. And that's going to be very detrimental to some of our seedlings as we try to get planted uh, with some cool season annual forages. Now, if we look at the, the U.S. drought monitor, we can see that the northern and southern portions of Alabama are in D0 drought, meaning they're abnormally dry conditions. So it's going to be very hard to get some good germination with the lack of rainfall we've seen over the last 30 days. 
Now, if we look at the, the drought overall, we can see definitely portions of the United States in D3 and D4 drought. Look at California, Nevada, Utah, as well as Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska. Significant drought in these areas, and there, it's definitely going to play a, a major factor as we think of a lot of our, our, our herd expansions and contractions in the beef and the sheep and goat industries. Now, if, as, we, as we look forward here, looking at the NOAA seasonal outlook, um, just the seasonal outlook overall, it's definitely looking warmer and drier from now through the end of March. So we look at the temperature, we're looking at above normal temperatures, we look at the, the amount of rainfall we should expect, we're looking below normal rainfall levels. So again, warmer and drier out there. It's going to be absolutely critical that we get a good rain on any cool season annuals that we plant. So we want to be very, very timely planting these cool season annual forages. There's, it's very critical that we get that rainfall. Um, I did want to talk just quickly about some production costs. So we have ammonium nitrate. The average offer price per ton right now is $744 per ton, and that is about $1.09 per pound of nitrogen, the unit of nitrogen. And then on urea, the average offer price right now is $937.50, bringing that total uh, to $1.02 per pound of nitrogen. Again, it is going to be a little warmer, so just be watching that urea. We want to get it into the ground um, as we still continue to see these warmer temperatures. The last thing we'll just add is as we look at farm diesel, um, the average cost per gallon out there in terms of offer price is $4.68 a gallon. So it's very critical that we get good establishment with these input prices so high for us um, on terms of cost of production of these cool season annual forages. Thank you for your time, and I just look forward to continuing to serve you as your Alpha Commodity Director. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast be sure to follow alabama farmers federation on facebook twitter and instagram tune in next week for another timely conversation from alabama agcast